There are some people in the world today who think that Christians are supposed to have blind faith. But that is not true. That is actually a lie. And I think it's a lie that's usually told by men and women who want an excuse to avoid taking the claims of Christianity seriously. I think many of them are afraid. They're afraid if they do make the effort to really examine Jesus and his teaching with an open mind, they think they might start to become believers themselves, which means they'd have to change the way they're living. And that they don't want to do. The Catechism of the Catholic Church states that we are supposed to have good, solid, rational reasons for what we believe about Jesus and about his gospel, what the Catechism refers to as motives of credibility. And these motives of credibility are supposed to show that, and here I quote, the ascent of faith is by no means a blind impulse of the mind. The event we celebrate at Easter, the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ from the dead, is of course at the very center of Christianity. As St. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, if Christ was not raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. And those who have fallen asleep in Christ are the deadest of the dead. If our hopes in Christ are limited to this life only, we are the most pitiable of men. You can't say it any more clearly, any more directly than that. So I ask you this morning, why do you believe it? I presume that you do because you're here on Easter Sunday. What are your personal motives of credibility when it comes to Jesus' resurrection? I can't answer that question for you, but I can answer it for me. And I will do that in this homily. Now, this is not an exhaustive list. You can be glad about that. <laughs> But these are some of the more important and noteworthy reasons why I personally believe that Jesus Christ is risen and alive and with us, and why he will be with us, as scripture says, until the end of time. The first one I'll mention, the first reason, is this. It's the witness of the apostles. The testimony that Jesus is alive is one that they gave because they said they personally saw him and talked with him, and as we heard in today's first reading, ate and drank with him after Good Friday, after his death. Now you might say, Father Ray, how do you know that they didn't make it all up? How do you know that they didn't steal Jesus' body and then make all their claims about Jesus being alive? Well, I don't know those things with absolute certitude. But I do know this. If you take the other position and say that you believe the apostles did fabricate the story, then you are left 
with an even more difficult question, an even more difficult issue. Why? Why would they have done it? What could possibly have been their motivation? It's not as if they stood to make a lot of money by telling the story. There were no book deals to be had at the local Jewish Jerusalem publishing company. Right? There were no appearances on 60 Minutes or The Tonight Show to look forward to. Quite oppositely, these apostles knew very well that if they persisted in maintaining that Jesus Christ was risen from the dead, that he had come back from the grave, then they would probably end up just like Jesus ended up. Dead. But that didn't matter, did it? They preached the resurrection of our Lord with certitude and with conviction, knowing full well that it would bring them intense suffering and perhaps even martyrdom. And they were right. Chuck Colson, who was the converted Watergate criminal, he said it well several years ago, and here I quote. He said, people will give their lives for something they believe to be true. They will never give their lives for something they know to be false. In other words, had the apostles known that the resurrection was a lie, they never would have died for it. So the witness of the apostles is one reason that I believe in the resurrection. A second reason, which you could say is a corollary to the first, is the change that occurred in the apostles themselves. You know, scripture is very clear about it. Prior to the resurrection and prior to the descent of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, these apostles were cowardly, they were fearful, they were immature, and to put it mildly, they were not the brightest bulbs on planet Earth. However, after they encountered the risen Christ and after he returned to heaven and sent them the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, they were completely transformed. They were strong. They were fearless. They were emotionally and spiritually mature, and they were incredibly insightful. And we have some of their writings to prove that right in the sacred scriptures. How do you explain that change? I explain it by saying that Jesus made them that way because he's risen and alive, and was operating in their lives. Those who don't believe in the resurrection, well, they have to come up with some alternative explanation. A third reason I believe in the resurrection is much more personal. It's my own experience. I believe that I have personally experienced the presence of the risen Christ in my life many times and in many ways, especially, though not exclusively, in the tough times, in the difficult moments. I'm sure that many of you could, and many of you would, make the very same claim. The final reason I'll share with you today as to why I believe in the resurrection of Jesus is this. It's the experience of the church the experience of Holy Mother Church. Think about it, my brothers and sisters. If Jesus Christ is truly risen from the dead, 
And if he is the head and the church is his body, as St. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians, then what happened to the head 2,000 years ago should also happen to his body now. In other words, if Jesus really is alive and present in his church, then something should happen. Then the experience of the historical Jesus 2,000 years ago should in many ways parallel the experience of the church today. And isn't that precisely what we see? Look, for example, at how the world responded to the events that surrounded the resignation of Pope Benedict and the election of Pope Francis. This proves it, I think. C.S. Lewis said many years ago that Jesus, when he walked the face of this earth, inspired three reactions in people. Hatred, terror, and adoration. That is to say, people were either passionately for Jesus or they were passionately against him. Almost nobody was neutral. Almost nobody was lukewarm when the name Jesus of Nazareth was mentioned in first century Palestine. And isn't that precisely the way it is with the Catholic Church today? Go home today to your Easter dinner and mention the Catholic Church in casual conversation with your relatives. Mention it at the church at work with your friends, your co-workers there. And most of them will be either at one extreme or they'll be at the other one. Very few, if any, will have no opinion about the church and her teaching. But isn't that exactly what we should expect? The church inspires great love and devotion as Jesus historically inspired great love and devotion. And the church inspires intense hatred as Jesus did 2,000 years ago. And the church also inspires great interest, great curiosity, as Jesus did. I don't know where you were when Pope Francis was named Holy Father. I happened to be driving along in my car listening to one of the music stations I normally listen to. They interrupted what was going on. And I checked all the buttons, my preset buttons on my radio. Every single station was covering the election of the Pope. I couldn't have found any music even if I wanted to. I didn't want to, of course. I wanted to hear about the Pope. The next day, the headline of the Providence Journal read, Humble Pastor as Pope. It was in huge, bold print, right above a picture of the Holy Father that took up half the page. Gee, I thought the Catholic Church was irrelevant. I thought the Catholic Church didn't matter. You know, the people in the secular press and media are always telling us that, well, the Church is out of date, the Church is behind the times. Oh, the Church needs to change her teaching before she disappears from planet Earth. Really? Well, if that's the case, then why are they all so interested in what goes on in the church? I don't know about you, but personally speaking, 
I have absolutely no interest whatsoever in things that don't matter. And I think most people feel the same way. So why are so many of those in the secular world obsessed, and I mean really obsessed, with us? I believe it's because they realize subconsciously and intuitively that the Catholic Church speaks with the voice of the risen Christ. That's why. As secular journalist Kathleen Parker put it in a column she wrote just before Pope Francis was elected, she said, Whatever one's personal opinion of Catholicism, and I am not Catholic, the Church remains a bulwark against Western secularization and the growing culture of choice. Well said by a non-Catholic. And of course, that's exactly what Jesus would be if he were still walking the face of God's earth. Even, I dare say, the terrible scandals involving bad priests in the last ten years testify to the connection between the Church today and the historical Jesus, who is still alive and with us. The John Jay College for Criminal Justice estimated that about 4% of priests were engaged in this kind of evil activity during a 50-year period. Well, lest we forget, one out of the first 12 priests turned out to be a real bad apple, an intensely evil man. He was a thief, he used to steal money from the apostolic purse, and of course, as we all know, he turned out to be a traitor to Jesus, his Lord and Savior. Mathematically speaking, this means that Jesus lost 8% of his first group of priests. One out of 12 is roughly 8%. Do the math when you get home. So the failure of 4% today really shouldn't surprise us all that much. But neither should the incredible sanctity and charity present in other members of the Church, priests and laity alike. I ask you, is it a coincidence that the Catholic Church is the largest private charitable organization in the world? As Bill O'Reilly reminded Jay Leno the other night on Leno's TV program. Some of you probably saw that. No, it's not a coincidence. At least it's not a coincidence if you believe that the risen Christ lives and acts through the Church. Is it a coincidence that committed, serious, devout Catholics like John Paul II and Mother Teresa of Calcutta are among the best and the most loving people in human history? Once again, it's not a coincidence if you believe that Jesus Christ is risen and alive and is living in the hearts of holy people in his church today, in our generation. It is good for us to gather this morning, as we should every Sunday, to renew our faith in the risen Christ, in the Lord's resurrection. But you know what, my brothers and sisters, and I will conclude with this thought. Our world today demands more than simple belief. It also demands holiness. And it demands that we have reasons, good, rational reasons, for believing the things that we say we believe. 
You've just heard some of mine. What are yours?